0: Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching and joining me today is Jess Spendlove. Jess is a performance dietitian, coach and speaker and she specializes in nutrition and high performing behaviors. She says, put simply, she'll help you get to the top of your game, whatever that game might be. Jess has worked with elite athletes in virtually every code, as well as working with corporate leaders and entrepreneurs, and I'm delighted to say that she joins us today in our new studio at Cutthrough HQ. Jess, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Dan, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to today's chat.
1: Yeah, me too. Um I discovered recently that we got similar starts in our um, work when it came to working with sporting um, organisations. I think I'm right in saying that, that your first foray into certainly the world of the NRL was with the Cronulla Sharks, and that was also the same club I started. They, they, they were the first club that gave me a, a, a chance. And I'm, I'm interested in um, whether it was the Sharks specifically or, or when you actually took that first step into the world of sport, what was going through your mind at that time?
0: For me, the the vision and the the determination was always with my career, I want to work in pro sport. So in terms of when that actually happened, it was about three years after graduating and it is 150% the result of a mentor that I had and learning from her and and just being eager and, and taking so many volunteer opportunities before that. Um, the Cronulla sharks popped up at a very interesting time. They needed someone in there off the back of a few issues mm. and the NRL was starting to bring in regulations around supplements and, and getting the right people in the right roles. It was pretty rogue before then, to be honest, mm. not just there, but in en- general, in general. Yeah. um, and I don't often talk about this, but the Sharks were my team. So, it was it was really interesting because I was really mindful about not being the fangirl. Yep. I was there to be professional. And look, for me, I've always kind of thrived in the deep end and that was what it was. Mm. So, yeah, it was a really great opportunity. It was a great place to start. It was fast learning, mm. more about people and interactions than anything else. Yep. And the rest really kind of accelerated quite quickly after that.
1: Yeah. And... I said uh, before like that was your first foray into sport but that's not true is it because I think I'm right in saying as a as a youngster you were at something of a, a swimmer and so you sport has been something that's been important to you is that fair to say?
0: Yeah it's to be honest, it's just been integrated into my life since as as much as like my entire life. So I was a very high level swimmer at a very young age, you know, nine, ten years old, swimming before school, you know, national gold medals at those school competitions, national age meddling, all of that. So for me and a lot of what I do now, the the specialising, I think when you break it down, it's, it's really in busy people. So the parallels with the athletes and the corporates—it's navigating these busy lives and other priorities, and how do you integrate certain habits and behaviors into that? But yeah, this kind of world of sport, high performance, this type of you know thinking—it's mm. it's really just been who I have been for forever.
1: Yeah, and when you um, talk about uh, because we are we're going to talk more about the sort of um, outside of sport uh, in in this episode, but I'm interested in some of the i guess key ideas or principles uh, or thoughts however you want to frame that that you feel people might benefit more if they adopted that from elite sports. so what is it i guess that elite athletes are doing either consciously or it's kind of mandated for them um what what are they doing that actually everyone would benefit from
0: yeah, great question and and for me there are a lot of parallels and that's I guess what I was able to, you know, understand quite quickly being amongst so many different sports and athletes and it really became clear, okay, well there's actually really 6, 7 or 8 things all of these athletes can benefit from and then even further down the line it was like, well hang on, there's 6 or 7 or 8 things that everybody can mm. benefit from. You know, the mindset for an athlete is I need to perform and Getting and connecting with them on that level is what it's all about. So, nutrition in terms of how it's going to fuel them to then thrive, how it's going to help them perform in the moment, and how it's then going to help them recover. Mm. You know, extrapolating that out, it is about enjoyment. It's not about suffering. And it's also about being, you know, supported and not suffocated. Mm. So, I guess a few, and probably the one I like to talk about the most, we'll start with whether it's on a podcast or with a coaching client or when I present or anything, it's talking about understanding actually the role of different foods. Mm. And for me, I don't talk about macros and micros like to an extent I do, but I talk about elements and understanding four key elements of a meal. And to be honest, a snack, which I think a lot of people get wrong. They just think it's like a filler, but it's actually a strategic way to nutritionally fill yourself up and fuel you. Um, but understanding, you know, carbs, proteins, fats, and colors, which is the fourth element, and how you respond. So protein is the one I see most people getting wrong, and I guess a lot of people think of it as, oh, it helps me recover, helps me build muscle, which, yes, that's all 100% correct, but of more interest to every single human being is it satisfies you, it sustains you, and when you're constantly drip-feeding that across the day, that's impacting your energy, your blood sugar levels, and the flow on effect is how you feel, your energy, your cognitive performance, and your physical. So that's definitely one of the key principles that every single person, if they learn to do that, and that's the most important thing. Yeah, I'm talking pretty high level here. How do we then actually do that? Mm. Um, people like to subscribe to ways of eating or meal plans, et cetera, which don't actually align with them as a person. And what I like to do is, give that knowledge so they can apply that to them Mm. as an individual. And that is success, manipulating and adjusting slight tweaks to where you are, not these giant, you know, changes just because someone they follow or they've been recommended to do something which they don't like or don't agree with or just doesn't, like, fit their life, to be honest.
1: Mm. I think um, just when you were sort of rattling off all the benefits of of that, not once did you mention weight, you know, and I think – and. I'm going out on a limb here now, but I wonder how many times when people kind of ask you what you do, right? And you say whatever it is you say, and I'll be keen to actually, you know, we'll we'll do this. We'll actually, (laughs) let's role play this a little bit, you know? So you're at a party and and someone says, oh, hey, Jess, nice to meet you. What do you do? You say,
0: sometimes I lie. (laughs) Why?
1: Why Why do you lie?
0: Because then they want a consult or they want a meal plan. Yeah. And it's like, that is just not what I do. Yeah. It's a small element to an extent which I really try and resist because mm. a meal plan doesn't change behavior if it's not tailored to a person. And mm. a meal plan is very rigid. So when I do tell people what I do, I say I'm a performance dietitian yep. and I help people harness the power of nutrition. Mm. I do other you know, areas as well, but say nutrition, sleep, and high-performing behaviors mm. to help them go from exhausted to energized.
1: Yeah. Do you ever find that people then sort of get a little bit um – I'm not sure what the word is. A little bit guarded about what they eat or what they're mm. drinking or or anything like that or is that, or am I just making that up now?
0: Oh no, definitely. They're like, yeah. "Oh, the food police watch yeah.
1: out." Yeah. Which so the food police, right? That, and that's kind of where I was I was going with this idea of how many people just have this probably well, maybe quite conscious or maybe just subliminal unconscious link between, "Oh, you're talking about diet, you're talking about weight, you're talking about nutrition, you're talking about how I look." as opposed to what I heard when you're talking is, no, no, this is about human functioning, performance, energy, sustainability, you know, all the all the stuff which elite athletes know are, are critically important. And yet, as soon as we talk about a teacher or we talk about a corporate uh, leader or business person, it doesn't seem to be as important.
0: And, you know, to be honest, I'm even going through a phase of going performance dietician. Does that pigeonhole me? Does that put me in a box? Like I feel like even I'm questioning that. And obviously when people come into my world and they see what I'm about and they hear all of that, there's an extension of that. But it's 100% correct. And, you know, for me, how I talk to people is about like metrics that matter, Mm. metrics that actually matter, which is energy, Mm. you know, levels, consistency, peaks and troughs, and just total amount that people have, appetite and performance. And appetite's an interesting one. Appetite's more about going across your day and feeling in control, not those peaks and troughs, not starving to really full, not the sugar cravings. And all of that is a byproduct of behaviors in that protein piece and probably a few other things we'll touch on. And the third performance, which performance is probably the most individualized it's either cognitive or physical you know if I'm working with a a senior exec or an entrepreneur it's it's cognitive is generally the focus but there is still an element of physical like they're probably training or that's just even again that day-to-day piece Mm -hmm. whereas if it's athletes it's something else but I always come back to those three metrics and to your point I probably get a lot of clients and even elite athletes that I still work with one-on-one and often in the forms, it's very focused on that body composition piece, which for me, sometimes that is the fourth metric. But when the first three are in check, the fourth one takes care of itself.
1: Yeah. when in, And what I'm guessing often happens when people are not being coached in the way that you would coach them, they'll focus on the fourth one at the expense of my energy, my performance. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll restrict certain food groups because I don't know I've subscribed to some kind of diet you know and that's actually where I'd like to kick us off is you know how do you um how do you in your field where I'm guessing you know that there's a lot of noise right so what, what I mean by that is right when I, when I go in and talk to people you know I'm talking about Uh, mental skills being able to bring your best in the moments that matter that's how I frame um, what I do whether that's individually whether that's as leadership you know what there's not a million articles on that online that are just popping up in your feed you know there's not racks and racks of magazines which are promising the next best thing so when I go into places I've got a fair bit of clear air to be able to um, talk about this stuff I can put stuff out and and there's not a great deal of oh yeah but I do this this and this right and it worked for me I'm guessing that when you go into to talk about this lots of people have got experiences or um, you know mental maps around diets you know um, you know and I just often I sort of you know rattle up with the high fat low fat you know high fiber no fiber whatever g- red green all these different kinds of paleo or whatever it is and I'm I know that this is the case for you. You don't talk so much about diets, but you talk about principles. But what I'd like to do first of all is how do you bridge the gap between your philosophies around principles versus what I'd argue is probably the mainstream diets?
0: It is a minefield. It is challenging. Everyone eats, so everyone has an experience. Everyone has tried certain things. The people that I work with No one's ever coming to see me as that first port of call because um, they're just not. You know, they're reading magazines and they're trying things. So I guess it really depends if it's that one-on-one or in that group sense. But always getting a feel for why people are trying something is super important. You know, understanding what drives them. And then even again trying to understand, well, how is what you're doing working for you? And even they are pretty aware that, oh, no, well, I do this Monday to Friday but I'm totally rogue on the weekend or, you know, I'm doing this but I actually feel really tired of my productivity. So nearly getting them and asking the right questions for them to reach that resolution, look, the teams I've worked with and the logos I can put on my presentations helps because I can come with that, like, credibility and, I guess, authority. But it's never going in as a dictatorship it's going in as like a human to human approach Um, and most people even if they resisted at the start by the end of it because it is such a just sensible common sense refreshing approach which again linking back to individual experiences like not everyone's getting it wrong all of the time but they'll swing between I see a lot of the all or nothing behaviors and I've actually created a quiz at the moment to help people see where they're at like are they getting most things right where they just need to dial into the one percenters or are they that all or nothing person or are they a ticking time bomb and giving them a little bit of a roadmap? But, yeah, I think um, it's always about understanding people, going in with my knowledge but never being like a, I'm the authority, you need to hear X, Y and Z and that's the only way. It's nearly getting them to come with their experience some solutions, questions and, and getting them to kind of challenge what they've been – taught or heard and you know I think one benefit out of COVID is a lot of people are cluing in to okay no we actually need to look at things not just for the now but for the long term what is that sustainability piece what's impacting my my mental well-being my spiritual my emotional not just my physical and I do think there has been a shift I'm not saying people don't fall you know um, victims to the detoxes and the um, intermittent fasting I mean that's a a topic within itself which I'm not saying is good or bad but it's it's a tool and people just really need to at the base level understand the foundations that are going to serve them mm. to have that quality of life which is that energy piece that f- performance piece that cognitive and physical mm. so I don't know if that answers it but yeah
1: yeah it, I think it certainly gives us a way into it because again I, as I'm hearing you talk and and again I'm just sort of like reflecting on my own experiences of obviously, as you say, we all eat, <laughs> right. but also the way in which I've heard people um, talk about food or you know, nutrition in general. And I reckon a lot of it is, it's not just the practical, pragmatic, which I do want to spend some time talking about, but a lot of it is psychological. A lot of it's probably subconscious. Like, you know, I'll give you an example. Like, I'll always finish my plate, right? <laughs> and I know, you know, and why? Because, well, when I was three or four, like, that was just what we did. You always finish your plate. And and I reckon, you know, some people are just on this mind mindless. I'm not using that pejoratively. I'm just saying they're not being deliberate about it. You know, they come home, they sit down, and they eat something. And it could be because they genuinely need to, but m- whether they're eating the right thing deliberately, we're not sure. Or it could just be that that's what they do when they come home, right? And, again, I'm just interested in how you tease that out and I think I'm hearing it you know you don't go in and tell them you go in and ask them and I'm interested like you know how do you know how do you know when someone is now okay I think they're now ready to be introduced to and I'd love to sort of talk about some of these now your principles so not the diet it's not the just spend love diet but it's these principles that you hold to be um, true how do you know first and foremost when someone's ready and second of all what do you then share with them around these principles?
0: Yeah, and m- one thing I just want to add, which I probably didn't like articulate you know, to that question but mentioned before, is around teaching people how they respond to those elements. I don't think a lot of people talk about that. That's not the message. It's do X, Y and Z for this outcome, but it's not helping create self-awareness in them to how they respond when they do or don't do something. And that's nearly what I want to try and create. It's nearly going, well, where you currently are, is as good as you know. You can feel there is another level. There's a whole, might be one, might be two, might be a lot of levels above where you can actually get to. And and talking to them about you know the protein piece and when we do, when we are consistent with that protein, we will have that constant flow of energy. Mm.
1: When when you say how they feel, are you talking about energy reserves? Are you talking about clarity? Are you talking about yeah? Wh- when you say there's levels to what what we feel. What do you hear people r- report back saying, okay, oh, wow, you know, it's been a few months and now I am I can genuinely say I'm feeling this or perhaps, you know, the data that we, we have on it, you mm-hmm. know, um, we can actually see there are different levels to or, or, or levels above what I thought was me.
0: Great question. And, you know, it definitely depends on the starting point, but some of the, the more instantaneous ones are, i I am getting to the end of the day with more energy and also I don't have that crash and burn in the afternoon and also my appetite. So that sugar craving or giant dinner or whatever that behavioural piece might be, that is knocked on its head. Mm-hmm. I guess the next level to that is mood. So protein's not the only thing. One of my principles is all the colours all the time which sometimes gets extrapolated out to all the plants all the time with the whole gut health, gut microbiome piece. But at the core, that's talking about people eating more fruits and vegetables, which nobody's doing enough of. Mm. We've only got recommendations for gen pop. A lot of my clients are not gen pop, so we at least need to hit what that is? You
1: gotta help me out. Gen pop is.
0: Oh, sorry. Just at me and you, general population. Oh, okay. oh, general <laughs> population.
1: Gen pop. Sorry, I thought we we're going Gen X, Gen Y. Oh, I was sorry, like, Gen no. pop is a new one. Oh, yeah. General population. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you know
0: the the five to six serves of vegetables and the two to three serves of fruit. Mm. We don't have what does an elite athlete need to eat, mm. um but we know that less than five percent of all Australians are hitting the, the, the Australian dietary guidelines for, for the general population. So that's key because fruits and vegetables are about antioxidants, polyphenols, bioactive compounds, like all of these big fancy words, which basically are quality of our diet, micronutrients. And these at the core are important for anti-inflammatory eating, You know, recovery, not in terms of like muscle architecture and damage which requires you know protein and enough overall energy but recovery from clearing the damaged cells or the toxins or or the build-up in our body which we need called um, free radicals which we want to be clearing so all of those plant compounds and chemicals which are in our fruits and vegetables which make them the different colors all have very different functions in our body so you know whoever I'm talking to wants that, wants that outcome, whether they're thinking about sustainability, whether they're thinking about their brain health and their cognitive function, Mm. or whether they're thinking about their professional playing career, that's critically important. So all the colours, all the time, um, all the elements, which is um, that first piece which I've touched on, understanding those four, you know, the protein, the carbs, the colours and the healthy fats – um, the protein consistency piece, which I've touched on there. The one thing I just want to say is if I can give you one piece of advice, focus on your breakfast. If you can get that right, if you can, you know, make sure ideally you're looking at around 20 grams of protein. Um, there's a whole bunch of different reasons for that. But if we can get that, which, you know, looks like kind of three eggs or some Greek yogurt, um, maybe some protein powder. If we're more plant-based, we might be looking at soy-based milks and yogurts or a plant-based protein powder. But if you can get that piece right, that will just set your day up for whatever's in store. Mm -hmm. You're laying the foundation of balancing your energy, balancing your blood sugar levels and managing your appetite. And so much of what I see is have it going on at the end of the day which people are trying to fix they're thinking what's going on here why am i doing this yep. they're trying to put change into that yep. but that is a byproduct of what they are or are not doing at the front of the day
1: yeah it's like you, you, it's, you see this a lot right you, you, and you, the bottom line is you can't play catch-up it's like we try and do it oh don't worry i'll have a sli- I'll, I'll have a i'll catch up on my rest on the weekend or i'll i'll go for a big run on the weekend um or or whatever or I'll eat, have this big dinner at the end of the day and what I hear from you when I'm when I'm listening to different interviews that you've done it's taking um just, well, it's a classic like you know but that consistency right forget the intensity but let's think about consistency throughout the day so if we let's let's actually think about this in terms of the protein because I know you use a phrase which I my wife um studies nutrition so she she knows all these words that you're using right uh, I don't. So, but I've heard you talk about this concept of protein pulsing. Can you tell me what that means and and how we can do it and and the benefits? And when I say how, I think what I really like there was, again, when you tell me 20 grams of protein, I don't know what that is, but I do know what three eggs looks like. So I'm just wondering how, if we can make it really nice and, tangible for someone like me right and i know this might be a coaching session sort of informally but yeah what, what does it look like to protein pulse throughout the day if we go from breakfast through the day for, for a general for gen pop gen pop that's yeah.
0: the- <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i've ever said that in an interview before so i don't know why it came out here today um it is about spreading your protein intake out. So what we know from research that's been done, westernized just ways of eating, most people get the majority of their protein. So the main food groups which contain that are like your animal-based foods, so whether that's chicken, meat, fish, etc. Eggs, whether it's dairy which is made from um, an animal or there are some high uh, plant-based options. So soy in particular, lentils and legumes. So we know most people are doing lunch and dinner what we want is to spread that out and look males females you know children adolescents the numbers are a little bit different but let's just you know i'm here talking to you okay so 20 grams at breakfast is a really good amount to aim for so we've given the three egg example maybe you're an avocado on toast person can we boil a few eggs in the morning or have them in the fridge and, and warm them up if that's not feasible, can we um, have a smoothie that we can make with a cup of milk or soy milk, and um, maybe a you know hundred grams of Greek yogurt or soy yogurt? If you're not into that, maybe it's a smoothie with a scoop of protein powder. Yep. So, um, the minimum I like people to have at breakfast is for an adult would be fifteen grams, mm-hmm. um, but you know twenty, even up to thirty if you're a male or you're active in the morning. Mm-hmm. Just to set the tone for the day.
1: And when you say breakfast, because when I say, you know, what time do you have breakfast? Some people say, oh, as soon as I get up. Others say, oh, I don't get to breakfast till 11. Mm. You know, well, is that really breakfast? So when you're saying breakfast, do you do you have a, and I know we're getting a bit pedantic, but I'm really curious, do you have a window of time? Like, when are we going to break that fast?
0: Look, I don't, um, for for the average person, general population, I am less about must be within an hour of waking up. Um, that is definitely where we need to look at the flow of the day and what works for the person. Sometimes forcing someone to eat early in the morning, A, they're going to resist it. You're not hearing them. But B, that just may lead to an extra meal, which may not be actually counter... You know, may not be helpful for that person. So um, that is an individualised, yeah, recommendation. Uh, Lunch, most people... You know, most people get enough uh, protein at lunch. I tend to talk in like a plate, which is quite helpful for people. So, um, protein should generally be a quarter to a third of your plate. Okay. So, even just by knowing in case she's talking about chicken, fish, eggs, she's talking about, you know, beef, uh, tofu, lentils or legumes. Mm. Just look at your plate, a quarter to a third of the plate. If you're sitting within there, that is a good amount for a male or a female, which is a nicer way of going – Oh, 150 grams of yeah, chicken <laughs> Yeah,
1: because I've not got my scales with me. Yeah. So I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: and plate ratios is something I talk a lot about. So if, if anyone's interested, like a good kind of ballpark to sit at is protein, that quarter to a third. If you're a little bit more active or you're just trying to maintain your weight, then the color and the carb component should also be about a third each. Yeah. Um, so colors, your salad and your vegetables, your carbs, your bread or your rice or your pasta or noodles or whatever it might be. Um, snacks. Mm. So, snacks is an interesting one. Um, I think most people think they shouldn't snack. And, you know, there's this movement of intuitive eating, which, you know, each to their own. Personally, I find guardrails help a lot of people. And So, sorry,
1: intuitive eating is what? Just eat when you want? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Listen to, yeah, when you want to eat, what you feel like, Mm. and, and honour that.
1: Mm. Um, And your thoughts on that are a little...
0: I i am more about let's just put some guardrails yeah. and some recommendations because people, in my experience, are not getting it right, so they mm. need that guidance. Yeah. Um, three to four hours between meals is about a good amount of time where you can still feel, function, mm. productivity, not kind of experience that energy crash and burn or that flow on Mm. once we're getting into the five or six hours. So for example, lunch to dinner without a a mid afternoon snack, that's when there starts to be consequences of whether it's overeating at night, sugar cravings, that real energy crash and burn in the afternoon. So I like to suggest a high protein, high fiber, colorful snack in the afternoon, which might look like Greek yogurt with some muesli and fruit or you know, a whole grain cracker like a nine grain Vita wheat with some ham cheese and tomato or tuna or, or salmon. Mm. I'm mindful on the ham because, it, you know, it's not like I'm going around saying everyone must eat ham, but it is something that a lot of people like to eat. So before yeah. I get any yeah, DMs yeah, yeah. about that, <laughs> um, it might be tin of tuna on those crackers or, you know, half a cup or a cup of brown rice mm. with, you know, a handful of, of spinach. Um That is a snack and that is what I call an everyday snack. It has those three elements and it's serving a purpose. And I get people are probably like, oh my goodness, that sounds huge. Yeah,
1: I was going to say, I reckon some people might think that's lunch. That's not a snack. That's lunch. But yeah, go on.
0: And, you know, for some people that might be, so maybe it's starting with a yogurt pouch and a piece of fruit. And where, you know, that still has those three things because a fruit, say an apple is carbs and color and fiber and then the yogurt pouch. But the thing I'll challenge you on for anyone thinking, oh my goodness, that sounds huge. Just test it, just try it and just observe how you then end your day. Mm. Are you then reaching dinner and, you know, you're feeling ready for dinner, but you're not starving is that then allowing you to eat slower at dinner or a, you know, a smaller portion? Mm. Because what we actually want is breakfast, lunch, and dinner looking a lot more even. And we want that kind of, at least in my experience, most people need that one proper snack. And like I said, it's probably that afternoon because lunch and dinner tends to be a wider time point. Mm. And just see how you feel. Um you are changing behaviour, however old you are. You've got your lifetime of, of habits in front of you. So, you know, um, it is going to take dedication, motivation and, and being intentional. But that is also why you should only really focus on that one area at a time. So, look, hopefully there might be a few things you've heard here which call that out. Um, it might be the breakfast piece. It might be your plate elements. It might be the snack. Just pick one. Yeah try that and just see how you respond and feel mm. um dinner it's pretty similar to lunch what i spoke about with those ratios yeah. um probably there it's dialing up the color component most people were not great with the the veggies or the um the salad uh you know my whole thing is if it's brown and white it's not complete so at least right. just get something on there yeah. and then ideally you're dialing it up to also about a third to even half of your plate
1: with the colors mm. yeah at the exp- so at, so if it's half of the plate what are you dropping out of the carbs piece
0: yeah it would still be there and this mm. is a great point you raise what I often see a lot of people doing is removing say carbohydrates I'm cutting carbs you know yeah. and also that's also their understanding of what a, a carb is most people think that's just rice or pasta but if you just go to a chicken breast and some broccoli say for example, that is not going to satisfy you that's either not going to satisfy you like physiologically because fiber is also a very filling nutrient but it's also probably not going to satisfy your enjoyment of food so my personal you know experience working with thousands and thousands of different people is it's more about those ratios and what you want to do is adjust them so if you're dialing up the color as I said, protein should always be a quarter to a third. It is the carbohydrate component that dials back. So, you know, if you're doing the half plate of colour, quarter to a third protein, mm. the rest, carbohydrate. Mm. Um, you know, looking, you're male, you're quite tall. You, I would probably be suggesting for you more like a third, a third, a third, just because that's more like what you're going to need for your requirements. Mm.
1: Yeah, and what about, um, you know, timing of dinner? I often hear, you know, you you don't want to eat too close to bedtime and 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 again i'm sort of throwing this out to you just to is there anything in that is there an optimal time that you want to be eating because my guess is if we're getting this right one of the metrics that we'll see an improvement in is not only will we which might sound a little odd but not only will we have more energy towards the end of the day but we'll probably sleep better which kind of seems counterintuitive right but my guess is that that that's the case is there kind of like an optimal timing for that
0: You're 100% correct. That is one of the comments which regularly gets made, not in the first few weeks, but within the first few months. And even if they think they're sleeping well, my goodness, I'm sleeping so much better. If you can control, you know, the time you eat and and everything – When we consider sleep hygiene, we're talking two to three hours. Three hours ideal, but even two is is enough of a gap for the body to start really digesting the food, doing most of the the grunt work there. Um, That is ideal. If you then need to have a snack pre-bed, it would be something called a tryptophan-rich snack, which is basically tryptophan is amino acid in protein, so a glass of milk, Greek yogurt handful of almonds so something like that which will just you know if the appetite if you're feeling a little bit peckish you know that isn't going to impact your sleep it's actually going to support it the reason I'm you know mentioning tryptophan is it is involved in that melatonin um, release and production Mm. so um, yeah look if you can control it two to three hours before bed and then that small snack if needed I am mindful in that though particularly you know, I imagine there's a whole range of people that listen to this and obviously with our both our athlete background, depending on the level, sometimes that's just not possible. And I'm always very mindful of, of, you know, what I recommend. And I guess it's like, well, this is the ideal, but depending, you know, it could be a corporate, they could be traveling or have a lot of meetings and, and they need to have dinner. What I don't want you to think is I'm saying skip dinner because that is going to have a knock-on effect to probably your appetite, your energy, potentially your sleep. You might be waking up hungry. So we make the best of the situation. Um, If we're doing that pulsing and we're spreading our food out, dinner's probably not going to be as huge as as maybe what it is if we get that wrong. Mm -hmm. And then if we can get that timing right, that's going to be even more supportive. So... Yeah, look, sleep and nutrition, like, they are inextricably linked. They both have the power to very positively support each other yeah. or negatively, unfortunately, impact each other as well. But mm. if you take some of these recommendations on, mm. I can nearly guarantee you'll find that you're sleeping better as yeah. well, which, um, you know, they're two of the only things we actually have to do every single day yeah. other than breathing. Yeah. Hopefully moving because that's a really cool, but we actually we don't have to in terms of, like, our survival. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, but yeah, two to three hours in—in in, I guess answer to your question—is the ideal.
1: Yeah, and we can then, from hearing you right, it kind of creates this virtuous spiral. It get we get better sleep, we eat better, we get better recovery, blah blah blah. And obviously, what you were saying before there is we—we can also fall into a vicious spiral where we skip dinner or we have we overeat, we sleep poorly, and I think I'm—I mean I know I feel this is the same. If I wake up after a crappy night's sleep. It's really easy for me because maybe my willpower isn't quite what it was, but maybe there's other stuff going on as well. It's really easy for me to then go, "Ah, you know, I'll just eat whatever now. You know, and you can, again, whether it's just over the weekend or whether it becomes more habitual. I'll I'll give you an example of um, a habit that we see a lot with, we know we have a lot of educators that listen to this podcast. And we know because they tell us all the time, yeah, Dan, that's all great, but I don't have time for lunch. You know, I'm just da da you know. And then they tell, the other thing is they don't have time to go to the bathroom, right, which is all right because they're not drinking a lot of water anyway. And so I'm really interested in when people get locked into this cycle. And, now, yeah, let's think about that for for a minute. What are some ways that we can – because teachers aren't, aren't just going to be able to say, you know what, kids, entertain yourself for half an hour because I'm just going to get all my food ready and, and eat my lunch – what are some ways that they can start taking some ownership back of this rather than just leaving it to literally leaving it to chance, whether they get time to sit down for lunch or not, help us, help us um, create some ways in so they can at least get closer to the ideal than they are at the moment.
0: Yeah, I'm hearing you. And you know, one thing, one of my principles we didn't even touch on is about hydration and Mm. how that's a low hanging fruit. But Busy people, teachers are the definition of that. And, and, you know, there's a lot in the media at the moment just Mm. about the extra burden and pressure. So, like, I hear you and, you know, I feel if for me, and I know I've talked a bit technical, but I always want to provide practical because that is the thing that makes impact and change. First thing is recognize the loop and the cycle that you're on. And, you know, if you are lacking in time, but there's zero preparation going into it, And I'll dive into that. I'm not talking, you know, your whole Sunday's meal prep. Um, I don't even do that. Like, I don't enjoy that. But, you know, what I am talking about is just what is going to help you. So, can you order some ready-made meals so that's at least with you and you just make that up? Or Mm. can you buy… A tin of tuna, a microwave rice cup, and a bag of salad. So that is literally ready in 90 seconds. Mm. And you can, you might be busy, I don't know if you're on duty or you're, you're doing catch ups with students or whatever. But so you then don't have to remove yourself from the situation, go and buy food or whatever that might be. You've at least got something that's giving you the elements that's with you that works. Two things I talk about are strategy and intention. And there's a whole heap of ways you can be strategic and intentional, but it does start by just recognising and hearing yourself and then thinking what's going to work. One thing I have universally with all my clients, whether they're that athlete or corporate or teacher or lawyer or whoever they are, a quick and convenient snack. So teachers have recess and they have lunch. Um, They might think, you don't know if I actually get it, so I hear you, but you know, a yogurt pouch and a piece of fruit or a yogurt pouch and a nut-based muesli bar, mm. zero prep, it's in the fridge and in your bag, you just grab it and you eat it. Mm. So you can start to put some of these principles I'm talking about here into practice, but that actually works for you. Um, look, next step is, you know, a little bit of like if you're cooking dinner the night before and you have leftovers, like there's all things like that. But if I hear someone who's just so stressed Time is an issue, like they don't know where to begin. Give yourself a break. What mm. can we outsource? What can we buy that's a convenience option that's good and that's going to st- start putting these principles in place? But they would be my two. And the third thing I'll say is are you having that breakfast piece that we've touched yep. on? Because if you're not nailing that, and then lunch and re- the recess and lunch are also, yeah, it's, a recipe, chance, it's yeah. a recipe for disaster. So get that breakfast piece right. Mm get those quick and convenient options with you, even a packet of nuts and a piece of fruit that can live in your desk drawer.
1: Yeah. Um, Some t- schools are nut-free though. So what? This so is help me, help me. Okay, yeah.
0: well, oat-based muesli bars, cool. they're still like, everyone's like, oh, muesli bars don't have them. Mm. For me, everything's relative. If you are not having the muesli bar, what are you having? Mm. Or what have you got access to? So there's still like a purpose. So um, no alignment or anything, but Carmen's is a brand I, mm. I often recommend for a lot of people. Yeah. Oddbods is another one, which is um, it's a protein bar which was created for people with allergies or intolerances yeah. and they are delicious. Um, I recommend them a lot. So they might be just a couple of brands. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not afraid to recommend no. brands, but just know that, yeah, that's just me giving you recommendations yeah. on what I would tell a client.
1: Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to, you mentioned uh, hydration being the low-hanging fruit there. Um, why do you frame it like that and how easy is it to just sort that piece out and and what are the benefits of sorting Mm. that bit out
0: yeah it's it's profound the reason i say it's a low-hanging fruit and look doctors or teachers and people with time constraints or ppe gear or something like that Mm -hmm. is another you know thing that we need to navigate but it's a low barrier to entry like there's taps everywhere um and it's free pretty much um more than 70% of our brain and more than 50% of our body is made up of of water Mm -hmm. if we are hydrated. So even just knowing that, knowing your brain, the most important organ which controls how we think, how we feel, how we cognitively perform is 70% water. If we are dehydrated, how do you think that's going to make us feel? We're certainly not feeling at our best. And then from a physical side of things, you know, anything from a two percent dehydration like we start to fatigue sooner which they do those studies in athletes but i think that can really be extrapolated out to the population again coming back to for me the most important metric is energy how do you feel that's going to speak to everything um it's not something we can play catch-ups on because if we scull a bottle of water we can only retain so much and then we will go to the bathroom so you know From a habit perspective, which I like talking about, it's, you know, how do we habit stack? So if you are having a meal, can we pair that glass of water? Maybe that's your one thing you're going to walk away with and start Mm. focusing on. Um, For me, it's a low-hanging fruit. As I said, the barrier to entry is low. Creating the behavior is the tricky bit. But even just um, having that awareness, to be honest, I only found that. I've always known the body is about 50 60% water, Mm. but... Recently, I I heard a neuroscientist speaking um, at a a conference I was presenting at, and I was like, I'm grabbing that piece of information, Mm. and I'm going to be inserting that into this principle when I talk about it.
1: Yeah, because we use our brain for everything, right? Everything. Everything. (laughs) And, and, you know, you talk about um, habit stacking. So, I actually, this morning, right? So, my habit is every morning, I'm up and make a cup of coffee, right? And that's usually other than today that's usually the first thing that I'll I'll drink but today I was like no no I'm going to start my my new habit that I'm habit stacking so for those of you the idea of habit stacking is you you um, stack a new habit on top of one that's already um, in place like me having a cup of coffee in the morning so yep a glass of water had that first and it again it 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 seems so small to be it as to seem like well what difference is that going to make but it's i love that you keep talking about intentionality and i think you know one of the things i talk about with when we're doing you know high performances in, in high performance environments wherever they are whether it's sport business your home whatever it is we leave as little to chance as possible you know and it's like let's just let's just get some things not 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 rules but just some i look yeah the way you frame it as principles just things like, okay well if we can be more deliberate and intentional here. There's going to be a benefit down down the track, so yeah, I'm, uh, that's going to. I'm hoping there's no reason why it shouldn't be, other than just lack of diligence on my behalf. But that's going to be something that'll just kickstart my um, hydration routine. But then after that, what I'm interested in is, am I having eight glasses a day, twelve glasses a day, two liters a day? What's the uh, you know? Again, I'm not saying for me that I'm being a bit gratuitous here, just getting a one-on-one session here. But just broadly speaking, um, yeah, what's the, what are we thinking here?
0: Going back to our friends, Gen Pop, (laughs) (laughs) general population. So, um, guidelines recommend men minimum 2.6 litres a day and women 2.1 litres. So, I I start with that as a look. This is is a baseline starting point. Mm. You layer in exercise and activity and and all the rest of it. And there is an individual component, but that is a nice reference point. Mm. So that steps away from glasses because we've got two pretty big glasses Mm. of water in front of us Mm. versus, you know, those smaller ones. Um, Another thing I'm going to pinch from somebody else who I met at this same conference and I've been on his podcast, Paul Taylor, who I really like. What he's about, um, he gives a recommendation that for every 10 kilos – you're aiming for 200, I think it was 250 to 300 mils. Mm. So that's another level of personalization, yep. um, at least as a starting point on where you are at. The World Health Organization have come out and said like 80% of people are dehydrated and this is like a contributing factor to feeling tired and mm. not productive and, and everything. So I would nearly say like from the people I've interacted with, that level is, is, is higher. Yeah. Um, I do believe it's something everyone can can focus on. One little tip I like to make is make it an enjoyable experience. Mm. Um, buy yourself a nice glass bottle or, or, you know, buy yourself some nice glass bottles of San Pellegrino or whatever you like. like make it a nice I- experience, like a luxurious experience so you're more enticed to do it. Mm. You'd be surprised how much that actually really kind of – starts to help the process other than the habit stacking piece
1: yeah so help me then so (laughs) one of the one of the challenges i have at home is my wife again who has said she's right into all this says you need to drink more water and i very you know knowingly look back and go what do you think's in this cup of tea it's all water right so talk to me a little bit about why and i don't know you know how much how much does the caffeine part of tea or um coffee or whatever, offset the benefit of the water that's obviously in that tea?
0: Yeah, great question. And th- this is definitely an area, the whole caffeine being dehydrating piece has to an extent been disproven. So, you know, I believe the kind of the recommendations used to be for every cup of coffee, tea, you know, you need to have another cup of water, but... Um, yeah, to an extent that volume of fluid, like if someone is just all the fluid they're drinking each day is tea and coffee, well, yes, you need to be drinking water in yeah. there as well. But um, the caffeine in liquids, if we're talking tea or coffee, mm. hopefully when I'm talking energy drinks, because that's another conversation, another point to make on different things, but that is it does t- that is still included.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, it's winter here at the moment and if water is just like oh, I don't drink much in winter get on the herbal teas mm. or the the black teas or your your tea with a b- little bit of milk in it totally mm. fine that does still total your mm. amount of fluid but i think in terms of good habits like a one for one mm. we shouldn't be consuming more coffee or tea than we should water yeah, so that's okay. just yeah.
1: So what you're saying is my wife's right. <laughs> Which <laughs> I, I knew. Yeah, Always. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that. Um, You've mentioned energy drinks there. Mm. Um, talk to me a little bit about why they are, I'm careful of, uh, let's just say why you might not recommend them <laughs> as opposed to anything stronger than that.
0: Yeah, look, in terms of what's in them, you know, it, there's a whole mix, but generally there's a lot of sugar mm. and there's a lot of caffeine. My issue with them aside from I guess the composition is like what are they replacing for mm. a lot of people they're replacing a nutritious meal or a nutritious snack mm. um, they're often being consumed because they're tired yeah. and they have bad habits so again for me the the composition is one thing but it is the reason why and what that is being consumed instead yeah, of
1: yeah masking the the short the, the the other areas that we should be addressing like I didn't have lunch so have a can of whatever yeah yeah exactly yeah um all right so a lot of what we've spoken about and and you know you went San pellegrino and you know it's San pellegrino is not cheap so i'm wondering right uh, there's two things that think at play here is time to do it and i'm not saying this is legitimately or objectively a truth but what i'm saying is a lot of people say dan or jess i don't have the time to to do the prep, or I don't have time for that, which I think you've covered off a little bit, right? I think you've sort of gone, well, it doesn't have to, you just get kind of tuna, right? But what about the cost side of it? Because, you know, again, maybe this is an excuse, but I think this probably is a little bit true. It seems that shitty food is also quite cheap, and convenient, and done for us, and I can pick it up on the way home, and versus getting into the fresh food stuff, you know, stuff that's not been processed, which is always ironic, right? The stuff that's not had anything done to it tends to be more expensive. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you help people who are, that they have some legitimate concerns around budget and, and more so than the time, but specifically budget. What's, what, what's some helpful advice here?
0: Yeah, looking particularly at the moment, mm. it, it is a concern. Um, there are very cost-effective methods for bulking out meals so one like something like tins of lentils and legumes if you compare that to say beef mince for example and we're making maybe some spaghetti bolognese or we're making some tacos or, or whatever it might be if you blend the mix of the beef and the, the lentils and legumes, like a tin of lentils can be like a dollar, whereas, you know, 500 grams of mince is, you know, 8 nine, ten $9, 10 plus. So there's methods of, of using like a blend of the kind of animal-based products and, and plant-based. Um, you know, there, there's some really great research that's been do, done, done in Australia, which is actually comparing the, the cost of like plant-based foods and showing that it does come out more cost effective so this isn't me telling everyone you have to go plant-based but it's going that's good i was about to wrap up the interview <laughs> <It's done.
1: laughs> she's
0: off yeah. she's got an agenda um but it's going that is a way like a to nutritionally boost the profile of your meal b you won't even taste it but c reduce the cost mm. um so yeah tin lentils and legumes like fresh fruits and vegetables always you want to shop seasonally mm. always seasonally um there are I'm probably going to get the names wrong, but there are even some services out there which come back to the convenience piece. Just Mm. get yourself a subscription for a weekly or a fortnightly delivery where you can order like the odd bunch style fruits and vegetables. Mm. So like I have a client I spoke to yesterday and she has a family of five and $45 is enough fruits and vegetables for her family for two weeks. Yeah, wow. Yeah, Um, and they're that, you know, like when you go into your different shopping centres yeah. and there's the, here's the odd bunch. They and, look a bit funny. Yeah, they well, look that's, funny, yeah, yeah. but they're totally fine. Yeah. So there's that element. Um, yeah, and, you know, when you're looking at convenience options, so I know I've given the example of, like, the microwave rice and, mm. and everything, like, that does come at a cost compared to buying in bulk and, and cooking it yourself. So mm. there is always going to be that trade-off. But, look, it, it is challenging, but choosing those kind of tinned options which can reduce the cost and, and dial down the volume of the animal-based products, buying seasonally, you know, buying home brands, mm. there's no harm or no issue with that. Mm. Um, and looking at some of those options which can reduce the cost like those odd bunch style, that like fruit and veg delivery. Mm. And look, it, it, you know, maybe it goes without saying, but – I hear a lot of people kind of using these as objections or excuses or, or truths to them, but you know that's when we need to go. Well, how many TV subscriptions have we got? Mm. Or, you know, what other areas of our life are there things we can also maybe look to ju- adjust to, to prioritize this? Because your health is mm. the most important thing to you now, to your performance, but to your long term as well. So. Um, yeah I think there's a lot of there's a lot of factors there but hopefully those help manage that that cost side of things at the moment
1: yeah I think that's actually a really interesting point because I reckon I reckon that health isn't a now thing for a lot of people I reckon though I actually whereas Netflix is you know I actually think I'm only riffing off what you just said there but I think actually getting past that and helping them actually realise no it is a now thing and it is impacting everything. The reason I the reason I feel I need to binge watch whatever nonsense is on, you know, is because of blah blah blah. And so and if I got this right, then yeah, it's I think and again I'm 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 really interested in the methodology of not just preaching this you know and not just telling people that they're wrong but really being mindful that everyone's got the reasons why they're it's taken them their whole life to get this point right so there's reasons that are very valid that they're there
0: and to your you know yes I've got my principles and I've got my different areas that I talk to people about and obviously when you have one-on-one conversations or an opportunity to yeah speak to someone one-on-one you can always tailor something to them which is really important but the most important thing is hearing them, seeing them, feeling what's important to them and giving them like that solution which is going to give them that biggest impact now. Mm. So it's not going one size fits all and you know, just cause the protein at breakfast thing is the most, you know, for most people. For for someone else it might be a totally another different strategy, which mm. speaks to them, feels like it's the path of least resistance. And look, I'm not saying don't have any subscription, but <laughs> most people have the Stan, the Paramount, the Netflix, the Foxtel. So Maybe you know we just need the one of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to um, get a little more technical now. A phrase that you used quite early on in in our chat was this idea of the microbiome. And again, I'm I'm a layman here, so talk to me a little bit about the importance of that, the importance of g- gut health. Talk to me a little bit about the role that fermented foods can play, which again might be a little outside the the norm for what people are thinking of unless they've engaged in this uh, in this space talk to me just a little bit around the importance of of that as perhaps another you know another start point that people could take because maybe it's like yeah i'm hearing all this can't do any of that but maybe let's let's go to the gut
0: Yeah, you know, gut health and that becoming more more research, more mainstream, I think is one of the main reasons we're starting to see a shift in some people to this more like longevity piece and, and eating for that. We can kind of do a little lot of shortcuts to get like certain physical kind of adjustments. But when we're talking the microbiome, which is the environment of our gut, so it really is just talking about all of the millions and trillions of organisms that live down there mm. and the ecosystem of that. So that's what the microbiome is.
1: Which must be hard for a lot of people to get their head around.
0: The way I like to talk about it, imagine we look up at space, imagine mm. we're in the Australian outback and there's thousands of stars. It's that's what's happening. That's you that's know That's inside. So then we go inside. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Cool. Um, you know, the gastrointestinal tract is the mouth to the exit, um, basically.
1: That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and when we talk the the mi- microbiome, we're really thinking about you know, once food is in our stomach and it's digested, it's broken down, it goes into our small intestines, which is where we extract the nutrients into our blood. And then we go to the large intestine or the bowel where it sits and ferments. And depending on what we've eaten, we've either got our good bacteria feasting away, loving life, Mm. or we've got our bad bacteria feasting away, loving life. And, And that at a really microscopic level is a huge determining factor to a lot of Future health outcomes. Mm. So the cool thing about the microbiome—maybe not cool—I'm mindful I'm a science nerd sometimes, <laughs> but you know the it's super interesting thing is it's kind of like the daintree rainforest, you know, or any um, any forest or outback where it's influenced by the season, it's influenced by um, natural conditions. So it's a ch- and my point here is it's evolving and ever changing, and you know they've done research where in five days, there can be change. So the great thing about knowing that is, you know, what you are eating does really matter. And you can put these small steps in place to have that positive impact. The good microbiome, which I've spoken about, um, and coming back to that, you know, the plants and the whole foods and adding the lentils in the bolognese, they really love plant-based foods. They love whole foods, but they do love your plant-based foods. So Fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, lentils and legumes um, and whole grains. So basically high fiber foods. Mm. That's why we want to get more of those. Food. That's another reason why we want to get those foods in more into our diet aside from the various other reasons. Because when we eat more of them, a good gut bacteria feast away. It's like the fuel for the good gut bugs. And we produce more of them. They then have a whole heap of other benefits they when they're munching away, they produce these things called short chain fatty acids, something like butyrate, which is very protective um of our gut health, our gut wall, um, and a multitude of long term kind of like factors that come to our gut health.
1: Mm. so i've I've heard a fair bit about fermented foods as well without really understanding the role that the, why what is it? Well, two things. What are some, like I am thinking things like kimchi and stuff like that? And second of all, what is it specific, if we even need to get that technical, but I'm interested. What is it about that that is good for us?
0: So the fermented foods are foods that have undertaken a fermentation process um, and they have created bacteria. So they're probiotic rich mm. foods essentially.
1: Examples.
0: Kimchi, sauerkraut, um, sourdough, miso, um, kefir, yeah. dairy that's undertaken a fermentation yeah. process. Is or,
1: kombucha in that, the drink or is that?
0: It is a it is fermented um, in terms of it having like a positive effect on our gut health. The kind of jury's out, but okay. it's not having a, a negative, but yeah, yes, right. it is a fermented food and mm. Kombucha, the thing I like about that is a lot of people, it's a good habit, like, replacer. Yeah. So people that might be reaching for soft drinks or other mm. kind of things like that are generally happy. It kind of ticks the same box. It's yeah. fizzy, it's sweet. Um, but anyway, fermentation, um, fermented foods have un- undergone that process and there's bacteria that's been kind of promoted and produced in there. So when we eat those foods or we take the probiotics, they are transplanted into our gut mm. and so... What I was talking about was, I guess, when we eat foods and we produce the bacteria via that process, this is about eating foods that already contain that and we transplant them in there. Um, Fermented foods are really interesting. There was a study that came out of, I think it was Stanford, and they compared, it was quite a great, it was a really interesting study. They compared two interventions, both positive effects on the the gut microbiome. One, they looked at high fibre and one they looked at the fermented foods. Both had positive results, but interestingly, those on the fermented foods actually had greater um, anti-inflammatory properties, and they also found that people introducing fermented foods had less unfavourable kind of symptoms as well. So what I took away from that is if I'm meeting someone and, you know, they're not eating much fruits or veggies, they're not eating much fiber, like the diet, you know, the, the nutrition and the dietary pattern has some work to do. That might be a better path to enter because they may have less uncomfortable symptoms. Yeah. And I guess that's the thing when you're making change, you need to go low and slow because your body needs to adapt. And when we're talking about the gut health and the gut microbiome, like it's literally the same as you going, I've never been to the gym, but I want to go and bench press 100 kilos or I'm only running 5Ks, but I want to do a marathon. There's a training involved in that. There's weights, there's strength training, there's, you know, you're running coach with a a program for many months. You you need to work your way up to that. Your nutrition is exactly the same, whether you're eating for performance or eating for health benefits or eating for a more diverse, improved microbiome you need to be understanding that there is an adaptation process. So you need to go low and slow, but yeah, adding fermented foods in might be a really nice way for you to like enter that, try some new foods, have a nice impact on your microbiome, but have less potentially like symptoms, which can be like gas and bloating and and things like that, which can happen. But Just know that that's your little good gut bugs being like, yay, I'm eating these fiber foods. Mm. I'm feasting away. I'm producing short-chain fatty acids, which is that gas that we feel in our stomach when we eat those foods. Which
1: is kind of the equivalent, I guess, if we're using the gym metaphor of like the soreness the next day. It's like, oh, I'd rather not feel sore, but it's by virtue of the fact I've been doing something good the day before. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. Um, I'd like to finish, if you don't mind, with... um, do you see as being the most harmful myth or belief around uh, nutrition that's out there? And I know no, that's a bit of a, a big question, mm. but you must, I'm guessing you must have heard variations on a th- on many themes. And I'm just wondering like when you hear someone say something or you, you hear it put out there, espoused, it's like, oh, it kind of makes you. Yeah, cringe.
0: probably the one, the thing that comes to mind, I'm sure there's a, a lot. Mm. Um, but the ketogenic or the carnivore-style way of eating um, and, you know, it's suggesting that that has, like, profound health or performance or health or performance benefits. When we look at, you know, knowing and it's a great kind of continuation from the microbiome and, and understanding, like, everything starts in the gut, Um what is happening down there is 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 going to impact what is happening around our body like inflammatory conditions risk of chronic diseases um risk of like cognitive decline like these are all big factors so when i hear people suggesting that a carnivore diet which removes all of those plant-based foods and is heavily meat-based is is something that's good for someone's like health it's just that there's absolutely no way that's that case and Mm you know, when when we're hearing just removal, restriction, suffering, punishment, like it is not sustainable. It is suffocating, not supporting, and it's not helpful for, for anyone in the long term. So if it's extreme, like I know it's boring and it's like, oh, this dietitian, she's on the fence and she's <laughs> recommending moderation. But, you know, common sense, long-term sustainability with fast impact and results now requires, you know, a way of eating that is supportive, that is sustainable, that is enjoyable because mm. it's so much more than just like food being food or nutrients being nutrients. It's the social connection. It's the, the relationship. It's um, with yourself and with like whether it's your friends or your family or whatever. Like there's so much more to it than just food being food. Mm. And so if there's some sort of extreme suggestion or method out there, going to pick on the carnival because that's the one that's come to mind it's just mm. it's a hard no for me yeah
1: i i often will reflect on it's not about sitting on the fence it's actually understanding the nuance involved in helping people make change you know a lot of the time people will ask me a question and they'll and my answer always starts with it depends and 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 people are oh, and it but that it but it, of course it depends you know um and and when wh- whenever we're presented with an either or it's unlikely that it's going to be the case for, for the vast majority of people. So, I actually really do appreciate the the nuance and the the, the level headedness, if you like, rather than the just you know, planting the flag in the in the ground and saying it is or it isn't. So, um, if people are keen to learn more about you and connect with you on socials or or whatever, uh, what's the best way to to find you online?
0: Yeah, LinkedIn or Instagram. I'm pretty active on both. Um, so, yeah, Jessica Spendlove or Jess Spenlove Dietitian. Um, but my website as well. You can just go there, jessicaspenlove.com, and it will link out to everything. But, um, yeah, maybe I should change my my what I do to being like I teach people how to eat eating foods they like but just in a method that's going to give them that return on result with energy mm. and improvement and, and performance. So, yeah. I think maybe that's the thing that shocks people. It's not me forcing foods or ways onto them. It's going, well, if we just tweak this here and change that there, you'll actually feel way better for this.
1: Yeah, and will more likely be, as you've put before, sustainable and and impactful as opposed to here's another one-size-fits-all, which people will take away, they'll thank you for, they'll stick to it for a week, and then it'll be just something else they used to do.
0: Totally. And you know, my method is really like, I want both. And I'm, I know that people can have both. You can have fast impact and results now, but you can build those long-term sustainable habits. And that just really takes like looking at yourself and and what you want to work on, but applying some of those principles.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time.
0: Appreciate it.
1: (laughs) If you'd like to find out more about Jess's work, or perhaps take the quiz on her website to get some insights into your own nutritional habits, then you'll find the links in the show notes. As we always say, if you found that conversation worthwhile, there's a chance that someone you know will also find it worthwhile. So please feel free to share this as far and as wide as you can in your networks. Also, if you could take just two seconds to like this podcast, subscribe to the podcast, or perhaps take 10 seconds and leave us a comment and a rating, then that helps the internet get this podcast out there to people who are yet to hear of us. We'd really appreciate it. It's the easiest, most impactful and free way that you can support the podcast. If you're interested in finding out more about our work, or perhaps you'd like to suggest a guest for the upcoming episode, or perhaps even submit a question for an upcoming Q&A, then head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the podcast page. But until our next episode, thank you so much for listening. Take care, take it easy.